Roll your perception check, because you've fallen into our trap. Dun, dun, dun. It's your favorite zero-level characters. Nice guy, Eddie. And Chimichanga Matt. <laughs> it's the No Class Podcast. Still. Duh. So, thank you for joining us once again. Yep. It's that time of the program where we talk about the long con. You glutton for punishment, you. So, we went over there the other day and finalized uh, some stuff for the con. Signed some paperwork, shook, shook some hands and whatnot. Kissed some babies. You know it. Um, and so, Josh and his crew of incredible cooks and servers are going to have some really amazing stuff lined up for y'all for lunch on Saturday and Sunday. Box lunches. Yeah, we did this special for y'all. Normally they don't serve lunch, but they have an amazing breakfast, which we have partaken of. And I've heard only good things about their dinner menu and appetizers. Um, and uh, they have a great bar. But uh, they don't normally do lunch. But we're going to have a, a really nice box lunch for y'all at Long Gone. And I think it's only 10 bucks. That's that's insane. That's just giving it away. It's a steal. The steal of a deal. I'll have two at that price. Any other shilling we need to get out of the way? Not that I can think of, but you'll probably remember something. I always remember some. Duh. No, the only thing I'm going to say is because you might hear this before Halloween, mm -hmm. is I'll be running some Halloween-type themed games over at Geek World on Halloween. So if you want to play wow. some Ultimate Werewolf or some Zombicide or something like that. Love me some Zombicide. Come on out and check it out. Yep. Be sure and have a bowl of candy because candy is dandy. I will not. Liquor is quicker. All right, then. So, any interesting topics for today? No, I figured we would just wing it. Let's just riff. You know, let's have fun. Um, so, I would read an interesting article a while back. Which is called, uh, the blog is Brain Leakage. Brain Leakage. From Fantasy Writer. Daniel J. Davis. Daniel J. Davis. So we've got our credits out of the way there for that idea. Now we can yeah. steamroll through it. Letting y'all know that we don't, you know, just plagiarize. But it's kind of like someone once used the term, the elusive obvious. And this is, for me, at least one of these things like right under your nose, can't see the forest for the trees. But reading this article, it talks about how old school, like first edition, D&D, uh, &D, the box game, whatever, one, if you think it through, might think that the world had been, uh, had suffered some sort of a magical apocalypse. The Dungeons and Dragons world. Yeah, the D&D &D world. Um, and in fact, if you go with one of the published material, the original one, The Living Greyhawk, or the Greyhawk world, there were two very powerful civilizations that had hit this, uh, this acme, you know, uh, uh, of magical knowledge, etc., whatever. And at one point, they went to war, and they basically it was instead of like nuclear missile, the nuclear solution. I mean, they used incredibly powerful magics and summoned, you know, elemental princes and demon lords and all kind of crazy stuff. And they basically destroyed this one large area of the world. And it's I think in in Greyhawk it was the Desert of Desolation or something or it, anyway, it was some desert, and it's where these two factions it used to be this lush paradise, and these two factions had just destroyed. Oh, it was called the Reign of Colorless Fire. This this ultimate final solution spell. 
that just ravaged that part of the world. And so, I mean, so I mean, there's an example in the Greyhawk lore of like, yeah, I mean, so these, I guess the few survivors of these two factions were spread to the four winds and created, and spread out across the Flaness and created these other civilizations that came along years later. But anyway, the article talked about how civilization were like isolated pockets and that basically uh, uh, there were some safe havens, but when you're adventuring, you're going off into wild, untamed territory, you know. Um, and it's it's funny because, once again, DCC has a similar sort of premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then something that I thought about was, I mean, in actual real history, there were people, uh, you know, in the medieval times, dark ages, whatever, that would be born, live, and die and never travel more than 25 miles from where they were born. That was that was very uh, frequent sort of thing. People didn't travel. I think that still happens in this part of Texas. This is true. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, if you really think about that, like, wow. You know, so that's why these scalds or bards or minstrels that would travel uh, and share news were a lot of times like, hey, you know, you got some news from other places, you know. So our basic question for you today is, is the Dungeons and Dragons world, is it a post-apocalyptic game? Is it a post-apocalyptic world setting? Not anymore. Not okay. since probably the latter parts of second edition or definitely after that. I think only that like the box sets in the first edition, you got sort of that un... They never came out and said it specifically, but it was sort of... So are we making the case that uh, Greyhawk is post-apocalyptic? Again, not necessarily, or if it is, it's it's been so long since it happened, the world is pretty much recovered. But even then, there were supposed to be distinct areas that were wild and, you know, untamed. And so, I don't know. I mean, even Greyhawk had maybe a touch of that. Hmm. But it was so well developed, you know. The idea would be, even before, say you didn't have the Greyhawk campaign world. Mm-hmm. And you were just, I'm going to run my D&D. Kind of looking at, because here's the other thing was like, and this article touches on this. In early D&D, the only magic class was, or at least arcane magic, wizard. Mm-hmm. And if uh, you wanted some new magics, you had to go adventure for it. Well, let me put you on the spot. How do you define post-apocalyptic? Um, there's been some sort of uh, uh, upheaval that has kind of forced a dark age. Or something, you know. There's been this regression of civilization, you know. Um, that would just be because you know, like let's say if you're talking about modern post-apocalypse, zombies, plagues, asteroids. You know, wait a minute, Matt. You didn't even go to the old standby. Oh, you mean nuclear apocalypse? Eh, that's you know been there, done that. I mean that's so cliche. But I mean, there's numerous ways to have the sentinel event that caused the apocalypse. But how big does it have to be? Um, it might just be to a given continent. That's right. where your campaign takes place. That's what I'm getting yeah. at. Yeah. Um, we look at like Harnmaster, Harnworld, which I like the game. I like the world, but you know, that's a whole other story, but Harn, it takes place primarily on this one Island called, you know, called Harn and the game's called Harnmaster. But apparently as we learned years later, this guy had developed this whole huge world. Harn's just one rather large Australia sized Island on this world. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it turns out that whereas Harn is kind of like untamed country, like kind of the the outer area has been settled, but a lot in the interior is, you know, undiscovered country. 
But for using that example, if you went to something like Europe and it was still technologically advanced, mm-hmm. it's kind of apocalypse you. Yeah. It's only your area or your adventuring scope area yeah. that was affected. I'm, I'm going off on a tangent, but I've never had a chance to talk about this with anybody, but I'm, I've been playing Go for it. the Fallout games and having a lot of fun with the computer games. But one thing that I always kind of go, wait a minute, what is when I'll meet somebody that has a British accent or a Scottish, you know, or, or that Irish or whatever. And I'm going, how the hell did an Irish person get to the post-apocalyptic United States all the way from Ireland or Scotland or whatever? I'm like, what the hell's up with this accent or the Russian? Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, it's supposed to have been 200 years or something. Don't make out like, oh, well, his grandparent passed that accent down for three, four generations. I'm like, that's one of those ones that I've always kind of str- scratched my head going, wait a minute, what? You know, but anyway. Oh, well. We didn't brush up on our, all our lore for this today, unfortunately, but yeah. could you say that the Lord of the Rings setting is post-apocalyptic? Yeah, you make an interesting point because supposedly there was an enlightened age before or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the whole thing. Like Gandalf is technically supposed to be kind of an angel, you know, blah, blah. And like Sauron is like a fallen, or Sauron, whatever, is a fallen angel or something. I mean, there's if you go deep into the lore, which I'm not nearly that, I'm not that guy with the Lord of the Rings lore. Well, there's always somebody that knows that lore better, but I read the Semerillion and all that back in the day, so. It gives you an edge up on me. So I at least knew that there was all this background and kind of all the like junior gods and angels and. In a way, I guess the Lord of the Rings story is an elven apocalypse. Interesting. Well, if you think that's the end of the age of elves. Yeah. So they're passing. They all from jump the on world. the ships after that. Was it the sailing into the? Was it east or was it? They, he, he, the expression was he has sailed into the east or whatever. Like he's mm-hmm. departed or whenever, yeah. you know. Um, and it's funny. I think Karnmaster had a thing where like uh, there was another Fey realm. And the elves, when they had given up on Harnworld or whatever, they would go to one of these fairy circles and pass through this veil into this other dimension where the elves supposed to have came from, you know. Um, something like that. I don't know. They just said, screw you guys. I'm yeah. going home. Exactly. But um, but just like I said, the article is interesting because, like I say, like how much has D&D changed? And I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, but for those who would know, like originally the only arcane class was the wizard. And like I said, if you want some more magical lore, you had to go quest for it or, you know, or well, steal it or what. And it was so coveted. And, and, and like the way Gary Gygax described it in like the DMG or player's handbook was that you wouldn't just go to somebody and go, Hey, want to trade? Uh, uh-uh, you, this was coveted. Like, uh, uh-uh, uh, this is mine. You would, you know, whatever. But I'll counterpoint you here just to say, Magic, arcane magic in and of itself was more of a secret society to me. Yeah. It was like I couldn't just come up to some dude and buy a scroll or be like, hey, why don't you teach me everything in your spell book? Why not, buddy? We're friends. Yeah, no. (laughs) But it was something that was passed from person to person. It was rare, but it didn't have to necessarily be post-apocalyptic. Like all the great discoveries were already made and we're just living off the scraps of that, which is kind of how it is in the article. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. I think they're still in a great age of magic. Oh, sure. I mean, still, yeah. It's a, definitely a high fantasy magical world. Every iteration of D&D has Now, been. is there a lost civilization that's got some really cool artifacts that you can find? Of course, because that makes it interesting. Yeah. And there's always somebody that was more advanced than the people that are there now. Yeah. But you always think, wait a minute. You know, we're, we're, we've come along behind them. But then again, you look at how 
ignorant Europe was in the Dark Ages, whereas if you go back before the Dark Ages, there were starting to be advances in the Middle East in medicine and things that they mm-hmm. didn't catch back up to that for how many centuries. So, yeah, I mean... It wasn't a Dark Age around the world. Yeah. So, absolutely. There's your first one. But, so, so, I don't think magic is necessarily like... They couldn't accomplish that. We're no longer at that level yeah. so much as it's just secret. It's rare. Nobody's going to just hand that out to you. Yeah. Well, that, and that's like at tables. Sometimes wizards would be like, well, I'll share this one spell with you if you'll share me that spell. But it was definitely a quid pro quo. And, and it was very like, hmm, you know, and boy, if you, you know, trying to like you find some wizard spell book in a dungeon, it's probably got all kind of protective spells under lock and key poison traps. I mean, yeah, this, this is very coveted and well-protected information, you know. Uh, but you figure like newer versions of D&D it's like now it's like oh well you know I found me a you know infernal sugar daddy that's going to teach me some oh, yeah. dark magic you know it's uh, you know warlocks or whatever and then sorcerers just like eh I, you know one of my forebears got a little freaky deaky with a dragon teehee I have innate spell abilities so I mean I'm not saying it's, it's again a bad thing but it's the game has really changed in that regard that there's more ways for you to have arcana you know so Another thing to consider is the bones of D&D, because it is kind of built off of Lord of the Rings. So you could make a case there that that's somewhat Mm post-apocalyptic and definitely off of Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, because Hyborian Age Uh was, you know, the Atlantis had sunk and all this power and knowledge had fled from the world or whatever so and again you look at um these those guys loved because they the bank the magic system was called vankian magic system and jack vance had written uh the dying earth mm-hmm. and that was sort of a a previous enlightened age so you see there's a reoccurring theme with a lot of this fantasy post-apocalypse so to speak but yeah i mean they wrote the original D off of appendix n and you go mm-hmm. look at those books and read them you go oh i mean it's yeah okay yeah um, but you know it's funny they say Gygax really wasn't a big uh, big fan of uh, um, Lord of the Rings and that's what they say yeah I mean who knows but it's kind of like this one game that we were board game that we were just talking about mm-hmm. that they probably would not want to admit any influence that it's kind of yeah. Warcraft in a box right wink wink yeah. let's try and not get sued <laughs> yeah I, I, I didn't even like Lord of the Rings yeah, yeah uh huh but yeah. I definitely say with Conan if you did a Conan world, you could tell, you know, magic of this level no longer exists. Mm-hmm. There's no uh, casters out throwing ninth level spells around. Yeah. They would be rather utility type spells. There's not a lot of fireballs. Yeah. It's more like knock, mend. Or if nothing else, like a lot of the spellcasting is rituals. I mean, it's how many times mm-hmm. Conan was there just in time to disrupt some lengthy convoluted ritual. Yep. It's none of this, the guy snaps his fingers and boom, you know, you're emulated or whatever. It, he's got to have one of his lackeys kind of hairy Conan long enough for him to try to get the spell off or whatever. You Which know. they're following the old gods and the old ways from this world that did fall into an apocalypse. Which yeah. is pretty much like when the snake men ruled the earth. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's pretty probably a good apocalypse to have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, a lot of that stuff's just really neat. I mean, if you look at it, it's really kind of rich with opportunity, and it likes kind of makes sense. Well, and that's like I, here back in the day, I thought Earthon because Earthon spelled it out, but they had mm-hmm. told you about there had been this the veil between their world and some other world had been pierced, and these things they called you know whatever they called them, but they were basically these 
Cthulhu old one demon creatures came through and wreaked havoc. So they created all these underground bomb shelter bunkers, haha, dungeons that you know people lived in. Well, then after so many years, these creatures had either fled from the world, been put down, disappeared, hidden away, dispersed, or whatever. People are opening the hatch peeking around oh it looks like it's safe and people are starting to move back into the world but there's these isolated pockets of civilization um the world is weird and wild uh things have grown back up while they were in these bunkers and now they've abandoned those bunkers things are moving in there you know or whatever or some things had got in there and did things to the inhabitants dun 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 you know and is still laying there and it's in the center of this structure so i remember thinking wow look at that well man that's just they kind of spelled out what was sort of a given in these other games is just it wasn't spelled out for you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, that's one of the things that they talk about a little bit in the article is that kind of dungeons are the remains of great civilizations that have been thrown down. But I'm trying to think of some that would be an example of that because the things that come to mind, like uh, keep on the borderlands. Mm-hmm. No, that's just really a natural cave system mm-hmm. that all these creatures we're drawn into because basic D and D. Yeah. It's interesting how many of these diverse races are living in very close proximity to each other. And you're like, what? But you know, but that was in the early days of D and D where yeah. you didn't have to worry about ecology. And yeah. does this make sense? No, yeah. just throw some stuff in there and let them fight it. Yeah. But I like how, if you look at like, well, how the goblins keep the large races from hearing them, there's a series of, of traps, I think near the entrance Mm-hmm. to basically and they'd really made some great choke points to defend themselves because they gave our party a heck of a time so no i mean they're, they're there's a reason why they hadn't been you know there's at least if you need some like well that doesn't make sense well they they did but i'm just things. saying that's not a yeah. post-apocalyptic yeah world view like, or whatever there like point to a different adventure or something yeah yeah so i'm trying to come up with one that lends itself to that yeah you know i'm going to go to my number one module yeah village hamlet mm-hmm. in that one Years ago, mm-hmm. the evil was thrown down, and you're coming back, and oops, surprise, there's still stuff there. Yeah. But that's only been years. That's not like a meteor hit the place, and that dungeon was left unattended. Yeah. No, it was a stronghold for evil several years ago, mm-hmm. not even really a lifetime ago, mm-hmm. and things moved back in. Yeah. So that's not really post-apocalyptic. It's evil mm-hmm. things in the ruins, yeah. So and that's that's a theme for a lot of that stuff. So I mean, who knows? Maybe like, like if it was if it's left for you to go, all right, here's the game, create your world or so far. Isle of Dread's not. No, I'm trying to remember what I can of Isle of Dread, but Mm-mm. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of mods that lend themselves to this. Well, but all the ones that stick on top but, of my head, there's like an ancient city at the center plateau that y'all haven't got to yet. So yeah, but I mean, I didn't want to, you know, but yeah. spoilers. Yeah, spoilers, but yeah. So and it could be. I don't have to reread it, but I mean, I don't know if they spell it out that this is the remains of some ancient enlightened civilization, but yeah. And is it again our limited apocalypse? Yeah. Because even if that's the case, like this was a Atlantis sort of situation where they got flooded out or something like that. Some, Mm -hmm. the comet hit them a millennium ago or something. Oceans rose, you know, apparently whatever it was, didn't affect the mainland. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a it's an interesting concept or whatever. It's something to think about. Yeah, we've kept up, but all right. Um, so, anything you would add to this, or you know, 
No, it's just one of those, like you said, things that are hidden in the plain view. Mm-hmm. It, just take a moment today and think about that and think about how it would apply and what an interesting idea it is. Yeah. Whether you agree or disagree, mm. I think it's an interesting thought. Yeah. And it can help you with your will, word blah, blah, world building. Easy for me to say. Because I will say one more thing, and I think, again, this is touched on in that article, and, and this is something I kind of miss, was back in the old school D&D days, every level of the class up to, I think, level 10 was named. Like as a wizard, like you were a, a conjurer and then you were a sorcerer and you were a necromancer or whatever. And there were all these names that now are actually divergent subclasses under wizard or whatever. But I digress. Or say if you were a, a, a you know, the fighter, you know, first you were like a veteran or, or, or yeah, like it means you've seen some combat like level one. Uh, level two, you know, you're a warrior and then you're a whatever, you know, go on through barbarian and blah, blah, blah. Once again, different to now, different classes or something. But when you got to, I think it was ninth or was it 10th level? Anyway, you actually became your named, like now, like at, at ninth level, you are considered a wizard. Um, at uh, 10th level as a fighter, you're, you're called like a hero or a superhero or something like that. Uh, as a thief, you know, it ninth level now you're called you know some some really elaborate cool sounding title for a thief i can't remember like the penultimate title and that's it for the rest of your levels but the thing about it was not just getting that cool title at that level the other thing was at that point you were supposed to be so well known and well versed and just renowned through you know some distance that local area whatever you would begin to definitely attract underlings mm-hmm. so the idea is like uh uh you know if you're like a 10th level warrior you know probably some local noble has probably taken note of you he's probably pulled you in as like one of his lieutenants and he's like i'm gonna grant you a deed of land and a title Ooh la la that's kind of neat you don't see that kind of thing anymore and now he's smart though wink wink he gives you a piece of land out on the border territories where there's either this other kingdom that's given him grief well he's hoping you'll set up shop there so you can help kind of keep them at bay or it borders the wild country where there's a lot of humanoids that have been attacking settlements and farms in that area tihi you're going to set up your fort there with these underlings that you've acquired that you're giving combat training to and they had a, a, a system in place for how much it would cost to build the fort and how much each man man at arm would expect to get paid and how much to equip them and back in the day, some of us looked at it and said, what is this junk? But if you really embrace that, how cool, I think, like, wow, my guy has a title, a deed of land, um, you know, and I have to go settle this area, and me and my henchmen or whatever are going to go roust out all the monsters and clear the land and make it safe and habitable, and I'll have people pay taxes to me. Wow, you know, I mean, you set up your own little, you know, fiefdom there or whatever. You know, it's kind of neat. You know, in the case of the wizard, you've established yourself so much that some local nobles like, "Ooh, I want you to be my wise man and puts you up in a tower. You have your own tower now, you know, because you've arrived. You're a ninth, tenth level wizard. I don't know. Some people might be like me, but I mean, I think that's really cool. And that's something I think we've kind of lost. Well, I think part of the reason for that is how high level do you get anymore? Hell, 20th level, 30th level. Yeah, but when was the last time you had a 10th level character that you played all the way through? Right, yeah. I mean, I will say that was, say what you will about the Living Greyhawk campaign. Um, I'm so tickled that it's the first time I've ever had a character that I got to play all the way up to like the Mm mid-teens. And I was like, that was exciting, you know, to me. 
I have good fond memories of that character. So anyway, there's that. All right. While you're having good fond memories, I just had a good fond memory of something I wanted to talk about for the long con. Oh, good. This one's not shilling, folks. Uh-oh. This one's actually some uh, inside baseball, behind the scenes kind of stuff that I know Robert really loves. So this is this is the portion of the program for you. We've had some people ask us about tickets. Tickets are what gets you the seat. Your badge gets you into the con, but your ticket is what gets you a seat at the table. So this time, for the very first time, this long con, everybody was there on time, ready to go, 9 o'clock, getting, snatching up those tickets. So I think in 15 minutes we had done about 200 tickets or so. Mm-hmm. Well, I've had a few people say... What a shame it is that all the games filled up so fast. Mm-hmm. Which, I gotta say, for us, that's fantastic. That's that's really great news for us. That means that we're growing strong as a con. That yeah. people are, you know, jumping in line. They want to be there. They're excited about it. Mm. First thing when this opens up. They got their screens open, ready to click, click, click. This makes us a big boy con, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, because unfortunately people don't know this, but us going to a given con for years that uses tabletop events, no, you better believe we're sitting there with our computers up and open, finger on the mouse key, ready for the stroke of midnight, which unfortunately this beloved con, they do their enrollment at 12 o'clock midnight. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you can appreciate 9 a.m. But um, but yeah, we're sitting there at midnight groggy and you know, ready to click and you furiously try to get into games. And there's many a time we get shut out mm-hmm. at this console. We usually have like a backup, like a tertiary, a secondary and a tertiary choice for a given slot. And we quickly move to plug that game in or whatever. And you better like whichever one, you know, you really want have the screen pulled up and that game primed with your, you know, I mean, yeah, you want to hope to get in and you might go, well, that's exasperating. Well, Here's the option. This other con sells half their tickets in advance for an additional fee. We don't want to do that. We don't want to, you know, um, trying to use the nomenclature. I don't want to dig on this other con. We love them. It works for them, and no one seems to mind. But we would rather not charge you an additional fee for advanced ticket sales. So this is unfortunately how this has to work. You've got to be there at 9 ready to, to get the game you want, you know. So I'm sorry if you didn't get your dream schedule. Yeah. Some people did, the people that were there at, 8.59 ready to go. We had some people, and I was even, I, I can't be obligated to go each out to each one of each person individual and go, now don't forget, you know. But there were some people that had asked me numerous times, would you please remind me? I reminded some of those people, and they still drug in at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon that day to find out that all the games were socked up that they wanted. And I felt bad for them, but yeah, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like if we sold out of badges, which has happened before, and then people are like, well, I can't get one. I feel bad for you, but feel great for the con. That's a, that's a sign of growth. That's a sign that we're in demand. So, Yeah, I mean, and that's where some great people that we really appreciate, and, and I can't thank them enough, have stepped up and volunteered to run more games, so there's more opportunity for people that kind of missed the first wave there's game to be had. It might not be exactly what you wanted, but we've told stories numerous times and, and share them still now about playing in a game that we didn't really initially, it wasn't one of the ones, our first picks or even a second pick, that we had a phenomenal time. It was a diamond in the rough and, and a pleasant experience. Um, but anyway. All right. So we're going to give you guys a short episode this time. That was it. hope you enjoyed it. Uh, any last thoughts here, Matt? 
Um, we're just really getting excited and primed for Long Con. I hope to see a lot of y'all there. Um, if you in, enjoy the uh, podcast, you know, come up and tell us, hey, man, you know, or if you don't, well, then, yeah, come up and say, I hate Please you. stop. Stop. Please. And we're hoping we'll get to record a couple of episodes at the Long Con itself. No comment. Yeah, we'll see. So, like a zero-level character, that's all out of hit points. So are we. Bye-bye. Bye.